Today's a very special day. We're very honored to have uh, R.T. Kendall with us today. He is a, a theologian. He is a, an author of more than 50 Christian books, and he is pastored in Westminster Chapel in London for 25 years. And he's one of the speakers at uh, the Holy Spirit Conference this week in uh, Anchorage at Muldoon Assembly. And so we're very blessed and honored to have him come. And uh, just I just want you to give him a great, big, wonderful welcome from Summit today. Make sure your mic's on. Yeah, I just can't. Thank you. Thank you. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And uh, the account that I'm going to read, actually, I'm sorry, 45. Genesis 45 um, is when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Uh, before I read, I think it would be a good idea if I just bring you up to date. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, know the background. But in case there's a new Christian or somebody who don't know the background, here's what we have. Joseph, who was the favorite son of his father Jacob, uh, is now making himself known to his 11 brothers. You say, well, if they're brothers, why does he have to make himself known? Well, it's because they haven't seen each other for some 22 years. The last time they saw each other was when they sold him, the 11 brothers, to the Ishmaelites. Uh, they were jealous of their brother Joseph. You can't blame them. The way Jacob was showing favoritism, giving Joseph that coat of many colors. And Joseph had prophetic dreams. And he, he would uh, parade before them in that coat of many colors and say, uh, one day you 11 brothers are going to bow down to me. You know, uh, it wasn't a nice thing to say. It only made them angry. And uh, Jacob the most well-known person in the Old Testament, uh, all called, also called Israel, uh, was not a good dad. Showing favoritism is not a good idea. But that's the way Jacob was. Well, the irony is the dreams were of God. Even though Joseph didn't deserve to have such a gift, he, it, he did that. You know, God gives us gifts that we don't deserve. And so we must never assume if we've got a particular gift, it's because we earned it or deserved it. The truth is, Joseph always knew that one day those dreams would be fulfilled. Now, he thought that the reason God gave him the dreams is that when he did see those brothers and they're fulfilled... He could say, gotcha, and could throw the book at them and get even for their jealousy. The truth is that God postponed the fulfillment of those dreams until Joseph 
was a different person. And it turns out, now 22 years later, the moment has come. And Joseph knows that they're being fulfilled. But instead of looking at them and saying, gotcha, he breaks down. He cries. He sobs. And so we begin our reading. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near me. And they came near. I am your brother Joseph, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these lands two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard and received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said. Nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear. Help me to be simple. I pray that this will be a life-changing word. Lord, there's a reason that I'm here today. Almost certainly never to be back again. And I pray that you will do something today that will change lives. Indeed, dare I ask that no one here will ever be the same again. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The message that I believe I'm supposed to bring to you was born in what was at the time the darkest hour that my wife Louise and I had ever gone through. It was while we were in London, we were there as you've been told for 25 years. Uh, those 25 years uh, were the best of times, they were the worst of times. Happiest moments and darkest hour. And what happened was unfair, unjust, and it looked to me as though my preaching career was over. My life had come to an end. What was said, what was stated, what happened was all unfair. And I was angry. And I was bitter. And I thought, Lord, how could you let this happen to me? What have I done? I come from the hills of Kentucky. And here I am in London, England. And I've given my life. Why? It just happened that an old friend from Romania, his name Joseph Tone, happened to be in London for a few days, just a coincidence. And I knew him and invited him to come and see me. And I told him the story, what happened. He's the only one I ever told. Now, if I'm honest, the reason I told Joseph is that he would put his arm around me and say to me, R.T., you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. That's what I wanted him to say. He looked at me and said, anything more? I said, no, that's it. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, they would be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Stone looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then I said, Joseph, you know, I really haven't told you everything. Listen to this. And he stopped me. R.T. I can hear him now. If I could try to mimic his Romanian accent. You must totally forgive them. <laughs> For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It's the hardest thing you will ever have to do because that's when you go right against nature. Because when you've been hurt, maligned, and it's unfair, you want your vengeance. You want comeuppance. You want them to get what's coming to them. Total forgiveness means you set them free. You let them off the hook. And you even pray for them. 
And when you pray for them, you don't just say, Heavenly Father, I'll just commit them to you because you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus meant. He said, bless your enemy. Bless them. It's the hardest thing you will ever, ever, ever have to do. But I can tell you, if somehow, by the grace of God, on this, my brief trip to Wasilla, I can get this over, you will never be the same again, ever. You see, the thing is, as I said, it goes against nature. And total forgiveness is an act of the will. You don't wait for God to knock you down. He won't. But you're put to the test and given the option and you make a choice. And I can tell you, were I to get this over to you and you do this, you will never be the same again. You'll thank God for this moment. Now, why should you do it? What's the purpose? What's the point? The answer is, if, just maybe, there's someone here, you would like an increase of your anointing. If you would like a closer walk with God, if you would like a higher level of the sense of the presence of God in your life, if that should interest you, then you're in the right spot. If that doesn't interest you, well, for the next 20 minutes or so, you're going to be bored. I've got nothing that will please you. But I can tell you, this is the most life-changing message you can imagine. Now, the question is, how do you know you've totally forgiven? I'm sure that if I were to ask how many of you have forgiven this person or that person, hands would go up, and I believe you. But I want to put a proposition to you that if I were to show in the next 20 minutes that you haven't actually totally forgiven after all, would you then do it? Because we'll come to decision time before I finished. So the question is, how do you know you've done it? Well, I want to say this. If I told you my story, I could convince you that I was maligned and hurt. But if I heard your story, <laughs> I dare say I would be embarrassed to think that I thought I suffered at all. There's someone here, you've suffered much, much more than I. Some of you, maybe you were raped as a child. Maybe your spouse was unfaithful to you. Maybe you were lied about and everybody believes the lie. Maybe you've been the victim of all kinds of dishonest conspiracy. You were promised a job and rejected. And all of it is so unfair. We could go on and on and on. Suppose we heard your story and we all concluded that nobody in Alaska 
has suffered like you. We all agree. And what would be your reaction? You'd say, well, now you know what I've been through. <laughs> or would you realize that if you've suffered more than anybody around you, the angels have a word for you. Congratulations. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Because the greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. The greater the hurt, the deeper the sense of God is promised to you. If you've suffered more than anybody around you, then the person in front of you, they don't have the promise you've got. The person next to you, they don't have the promise you have. And instead of you using this as an excuse to say angry and bitter, you accept it instead, Lord, I can see you've got a purpose in all this. You've got a purpose in my life. Well, the question is, how do you know you have totally forgiven? Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did to you. How do you know this? Well, here's what we have in the story that I just read. You see, after Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, he was sold to the Ishmaelites. They sold him to uh, the Egyptians and Eventually, one day, in the providence of God, strange as it may seem, Joseph becomes prime minister of Egypt, governor of Egypt, and he's now second in command to the Pharaoh. And they don't have a clue that the man they're looking at is their brother. They don't know that. They see him as the governor of Egypt. He's an Egyptian garb. He's speaking through an interpreter. The first thing he says to them, Everybody out of the room. They don't know what's going on. The aides, cabinet, 11 brothers. And he says, everybody out. Interpreter assumes you want me to stay. No, out. And now, with everybody out of the room behind closed doors, Joseph speaks in Hebrew directly or whatever language it was, to his 11 brothers and says, I'm Joseph. They're shocked. They have no idea that's who they've been talking to. Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to persuade them to come and live in Egypt. The famine has been in the land. It's affected Canaan. There's no food. He wants to preserve his family, over 60 of his family back in Canaan. He wants them to come and live in Egypt. He wants to make sure that nobody in Egypt would ever know what those 11 brothers had done to their prime minister. Joseph knows that he's a hero in Egypt. He wants his brothers to be heroes. He wants his family to be heroes. And so behind closed doors, he reveals his identity. And it's going to show that he's forgiven them completely for what they did. The proof you've totally forgiven, you don't tell anybody what they did. Now, there are two exceptions. One, 
You need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. I told Joseph Tome. Another exception, I had a lady come into the vestry at Westminster to say they found my rapist and they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, oh, but you must. Oh, but if I testify, he'll be sent back to Iran where he'll be beheaded and I've forgiven him. I said, this is wonderful, I believe you. But a crime must be reported and it's not personal. Total forgiveness is when you tell nobody. See, why is it that somebody mistreats us? We're on the phone to tell what they did. We cannot bear the thought that what they did to us will not be known. We want everybody to know what they did. We can't bear the thought that anybody would admire them or like them anymore after they've done what they've done. What if God were to reveal what he knows about you? What if on this screen, your name, everything God knows about you, You'd be happy for that to be shown? You see, the truth is, it'll never be known. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far are our transgressions removed from us. Because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. Nobody will ever know. But when God has forgiven you, and you turn around and point the finger, he doesn't like that. You're violating a principle. Proof number one, you tell nobody. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. Now, you see, these men are terrified. It says so. When they find out it's Joseph, they're terrified. What's Joseph's response? Does he say, good, I hope this makes you squirm. No, 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 no. He says, come close to me. Come close to me. He just wants to love on them. They can't believe it, that the very man they were going to kill and then betray and then sell to the Ishmaelites is now just wanting to embrace them. Total forgiveness. You won't let them be afraid of you, but you put them at ease. Proof number three, you don't even let them feel guilty. See, Joseph says, come near to me. Come on, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He's putting them at ease. He doesn't want them to feel guilty. And you see, love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? Well, to prove we've paid. Why do we keep a record of wrongs? So we can throw it up. Husband says to the wife, I will remember that. Sure enough, two days later, he, he quotes back what he said. Listen to me. Any marriage on the rocks in this room can be healed by sundown today if both of you will stop pointing the finger Tear up that record of wrongs. You say, well, I'll do it when he does it. No, I'll do it when she does it. That's not the way it works. You do it for Jesus. If the other doesn't, because this is where the anointing kicks in. And you see, you don't wait for them 
to admit that they've got it wrong. I'll tell you a, a fact that will not bless you. But nine out of ten people we ever have to forgive, they don't even think they've done anything wrong. The very people I had to forgive those years ago, you could put them under a lie detector. They didn't think they'd done anything wrong to me at all. Don't wait for another person to say, I'm sorry. They're not going to. And by the way, if this sermon convicts you, when the service is over, don't walk across the room and go up to somebody and say, well now, in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I want to forgive you for what you've done. They'll say, for what? Oh, you know. I don't actually. Well, you do. Well, I don't. Well, you should. Well, I don't. Now you've got to fight, which you wanted. Because you can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. You see, the basic reason the anointing sets in is when the people don't know how hurt you are, but you tell God. I don't know if you know the old spiritual that came out of the deep south in the 19th century in the cotton fields of Alabama. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. That's the way Jesus likes it. He's the only one that knows. But when you tell this person, that person, that person, that person, and then you tell God, you're not confiding in him. You tell no one. Proof number four. You let them save face. Do you know that expression? It's an oriental expression. You let the other person save face. What that means is, instead of rubbing their noses in it and embarrassing them and making them squirm, you act like you don't even know what they did. You cover for them. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he has a section on this when he says, let the other person save face. You win a friend for life when you let him save face. Do you realize what Joseph's doing here? He says, look, it wasn't me who did this. You think you did it. Oh, no, no, it wasn't what you did. God did it. Look, he knew this would happen. 400 years ago, God said to our grandfather Abraham that his seed would be coming up out of Egypt. Somebody had to get here first. So Joseph, you go, is what the Lord said to me. I just got here first. God sent me ahead of you to protect you for one day from this famine. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. You see, these 11 brothers, they can't believe their luck that the man they were going to kill is now saying God did it. You talk about letting them save face. This is the moment. 
Next proof. You protect them from their darkest secret. You see, they're saying to themselves, well, it's good that Joseph has forgiven us, but he's going to make us go back to Egypt, uh, sorry, back to Canaan, and tell our dad the truth about the coat of many colors. You see, what happened was, when they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, they yanked that coat of many colors off his back, dipped it in blood, lay it before old Jacob, who took the bait and said, a wild beast has devoured my son. I'll go to my grave in mourning. These brothers would rather die than have to go tell their dad that. He won't let them. Joseph won't let them. You read it, the whole story. He writes the script, tells them exactly what to say. He won't let them tell their father. This is total forgiveness. You protect them. Chances are you know something about somebody where you to tell it could destroy them. We've all got skeletons in the cupboard. Nobody's exempt from something in your past that's embarrassing. And God's not wanting to yank that skeleton out for the world to see. He lets us save face. He protects us. The next proof is that you pray for them and you keep praying for them. You see, 17 years later, Jacob dies, the father. He's come to Egypt now. And now that Jacob is dead, the 11 brothers think, now Joseph is going to go for us. They, they can't believe that he really has forgiven them. That he's just waiting for dad to die. Now he's going to go for us. And so they come to him. You can read it. Chapter 20. Sorry, chapter 50. Verses 18, 19, 20. They come to Joseph and says, Please forgive us for what we did. And Joseph starts to cry. He says, What's the matter with you, man? I told you 17 years ago I forgave you. I forgave you then, I forgive you now. It was real. He really had forgiven them. It wasn't an act. And total forgiveness is when it's transparent and true. And he says, I will look after you. I will bless you. And when you come to the place, you pray for them. And actually ask God to bless them. I'll tell you a story. One morning in Westminster Chapel, I was leading the worship. And uh, we were singing the old English hymn. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. And out of the congregation, a woman had just walked in while we were singing. Through the back door came in and sat on the back row, fourth row, Fourth row from the back, I remember right, right where I remember as though it were yesterday. This woman has done more damage, psychological, emotional damage to one of our children. And I lost it. I could hardly sing. I just mouthed the words. What saved me was several minutes later when it was time to take up the offering. And I sat down next to the pulpit as the deacon comes up, welcomes the visitors, gives the notices. 
And since the morning offering will now be received, and I've got a few minutes to collect my thoughts. Something happened then, it's never happened before or since. The Holy Spirit entered into a conversation with me. I'm sitting there while they're taking the offering. And he says to me, so, RT, you, you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel, is that true? Yes, Lord, good. How much do you want to see revival? A lot, really, yes. Which would you rather have, revival? Or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? Revival. Good. Pray for that woman. I said, I pray for that woman. <laughs> he said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Do you mean that? Yup. And what if I take you seriously and answer your prayer and I bless her? I said, well, Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> but that's the point. And I had to start saying, Lord, bless her. Bless her. It was killing me. I knew he was going to do it. <laughs> bless her. And to prove I meant it, I had to put her on my prayer list the next day and pray for her every day. She has no idea. And guess what? God answered my prayer, blessed her. That woman thrives today in London. She's no idea what I'm telling you. She wouldn't believe it if she heard it. She has no idea. Whether when I get to heaven, I see her and say, I know why God blessed you. I don't know if I could ever... <laughs> keep from telling her that but that's the thing and do you know what I got such blessing from it people ask how come I've written all these books they think it's my education my brain no 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 nothing like that when I started praying for her then I began to think of other people I needed to pray for I, I've got an enemy's prayer list yeah Oh, it's selfish. I get more insight on books. Publishers queue up to me, want another book. It's not, it's not my brain. It's the anointing. God will do it for you. Doesn't mean you'll be an author, but you have a gift no one else has. You've got a job no one else can do. You've got a task, and God will bless you. It all begins when you take Jesus seriously. Bless your enemy. Well, my time is up. It's decision time. I made a deal with you. I don't know if you accepted it, but here was the deal. That if I were to show that you haven't totally forgiven after all, in the last 20 minutes or so, would you then 
do it. Now, I don't know if you accepted that deal or not, but it's now decision time. And before I sit down, here's the deal. If you realize now that you haven't totally forgiven after all, you're prepared to do it. And if you're prepared to do it, I'm going to ask you 60 seconds from now, 60 seconds from now, in fact, 55 seconds from now, if you're prepared totally to forgive them, I want you to stand up. Wait, not yet. 45 minutes from now, I want you to stand up. You say, in front of all these people? Yep. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Yeah. Does that mean that much to you? How much do you want the anointing? How much do you want the honor of God? 30 seconds from now, don't stand. Unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. I won't let them be afraid of me. They won't even know I pray for them. I let them save face. I'll protect them from their darkest secret. And I will bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're prepared to forgive them, stand up right now. I'll wait 10 seconds. Don't stand unless you're prepared to do it. Don't miss this moment. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. He's here today. Don't miss this moment. Okay, to prove you mean it, you that are standing, go to the nearest aisle, come down to the front right now, and I want to pray with you. Come quickly. Just come stand right here. Let me say this while you're coming. This is the easy part. This is the easy part. The hard part will be uh, an hour from now. And you say, what came over me? Come closer. Come all the way to the front. There are people behind you. Make several rows. Tomorrow morning when you have a cup of coffee, you say, I can't believe I did that. You see, we haven't prayed yet. So you can still get out of it. And we're going to enter into a covenant. And I'm not going to look to see who prays. It's not between you and me anyway. It's between you and God. And for some here, almost certainly, this is the greatest moment since your conversion. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into a covenant. That makes it serious. A covenant in the Bible was always ratified by blood. We're under a covenant right now, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. We're going to pray. I want you to pray out loud with me. Kind of lift your hands up and just say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus I, need you. I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my bitterness, for my unforgiveness. Wash my sin by your precious blood. 
I forgive them. You forgive them. I bless them. You bless them. I set them free. I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your patience with me. As best as I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. One P.S. When you mess up, you will. Don't let the devil come in and say, see there, you broke the covenant. Forget it now. Don't. That's the devil. When you mess up, just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I pointed the finger. I shouldn't have. I said this. I shouldn't have. Keep a short account. And that way, you have an unbroken communion with the Lord. And the anointing will kick in. And I guarantee it. Just give it some time. You'll never be the same again. God bless you. I'm finished. Are you thankful for that powerful word this morning? Amen. We're so blessed to be able to have R.T. Kendall with us today. And I want to encourage you, if you can, there's information out at the information desk about the uh, meetings in Anchorage. And uh, Brother Kendall will be speaking again along with some other great speakers. And I know it'll be a blessing and challenging to you. And as we uh, leave today... I just want to uh, bless you and uh, just pray that all of us will be quick to forgive. Amen. Father, we're so thankful for your word today. We're thankful for the example, Lord, of Joseph and his forgiveness. Lord, I pray that we would always remember this powerful truth from your word. Because, Lord, we live in a fallen world where people may not even realize it, but they hurt and they wound. So, Lord, help us to just turn to You. Help us to give it all to You. Lord, help us to speak blessing upon one another. And, Lord, as we leave this place today, let us rejoice Lord, in in what you've done in our hearts and in our lives today. And Lord, let us prepare, Lord, for this week that you would just continue to work in each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. Lord, we, we are so thankful for all that you've done for us. And Father, I just bless your people today. I bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I bless them with health and strength and wholeness. I bless them emotionally, Lord, that your peace that surpasses all understanding would guard their hearts and minds. Lord, I bless them, Lord, financially that they would always have more than enough that they can give and bless others. 
And most of all, Lord, I bless them spiritually, that they would have a heart to grow. They would have a greater hunger for your word than they've ever had before in this new year. A greater hunger for you to work your perfect plan and your will, Lord, in their lives. So, Lord, I just thank you for the privilege to bless today. And I bless your precious people in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. How many received that blessing? Amen. Amen. Well, God, continue to bless you this week. I'm going to dismiss you. And Melinda and I will be out at the coffee shop. If you have a moment, we'd love to, to meet you. Let's give uh, Brother R.T. Kendall another great applause to let him know how much we appreciate him today. Amen. God bless you. Worship team, lead us out as we joining us today we look forward to connecting with you next time and don't forget you can support us by giving through the church center app or by going online at summitwc.com give